Do you actually have a jingle for me? Yeah. Um, I'm snapping my fingers. <laughs> You're snapping so you don't have to sing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's my singing. It's very. Do you have good? Um, what about some good like uh, strike chants? Was there anything in particular that that, that everyone knows that you can go to? Um, the problem is when you actually work in such a multilingual context is that <laughs> none of us actually speak one single language and that also entails on like how our culture in regards to chants are. So we had like one basic chant that actually like uh, started also um, coming to uh, the other demonstrations and strikes that we did, which was no more pay cuts. And that's not really like... Uh, in English, everyone would say no more. Yeah, pay cuts. no more pay cuts. We just said no okay. more pay cuts. Yeah, um, but we also had another one uh, which was really nice that I actually uh, heard for the first time, which like which was like um, uh, "Volt, Volt, shame on you." So like you yelled that instead. So like trying to shame the company, and that's okay. that's not like very vocal in like a really um, nice musical way, as you can probably <laughs> hear. Like Danish is always like this monotonous. So, like, trying to ask me to be like in a more like Italian kind of chant, like football chant, not gonna happen, man. You don't need you don't need to be somebody you're not. You can just say like, in fact, how about like, what, what? Uh, <laughs> you just repeat that, a couple times. <laughs> that should do the trick. Okay, this is where I'm supposed to introduce the podcast and say, hello, welcome to Cornish Beatty. Um, it's just Rob here today because we are talking about uh, union organizing, uh, wage labor, and all of those fun things. Um, today I'm joined by two friends of mine from Copenhagen in the Wolt Workers Group. Um, why don't you introduce yourselves? Freya, you can go first. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, so, hey, um, I'm Freya. And yeah, I'm a, a union activist and I've been active in uh, what we call the World Workers Group in Denmark, which is like a grassroots activist group um, where we try to organize fellow platform delivery workers. Um, I've been active in that for two years and also worked a bit as a courier myself um, for the Danish branch of Deliver Hero, which used to be called Hungry. Now it's called Fedora. Um, so yeah, that's me. And Rasmus, you are the troublemaker. You're the reason we're here today. So <laughs> please tell us why 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 we're we're assembled. Yeah. So um, my name is Rasmus, also known as Gesellen on the streets. That's my that's my courier name. Uh, it was actually something I picked up while I was um, working as a paper bike messenger. Um, but it has stuck ever since. I've been uh, active <laughs> as a rank and filer in uh, in Bolt. Um for 10 months, uh, 10 months of uh, happiness and non-cooperation, I might say. Uh, it's, 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 been a, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, I've been trying to, with my colleagues, to try and organize um, for better working conditions with fire as well. Um, and uh, yeah, that did cost my job. So I guess that's why we're here. I don't know. <laughs> Just a quick, a quick side note for the listeners. When Rasmus says that uh, his 
quote-unquote street name is Gazelle and that it has stuck. I think it has mainly stuck with Rasmus and hasn't stuck with that many other people. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. If you ask any bike messenger on the, the street, mm. they will call me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true, it's true. You have no, uh, like, empirical evidence, which is like a case on case in, in regards to evidence. So I can say whatever I want. Well, I do. Rasmus, I, I do. It does. I, I do have the impression that Rasmus can uh, make some things go viral. And yeah. <laughs> he, he made this podcast happen, so yeah, I guess yeah. I'm inclined to believe him. Yeah. Um, we will talk about why we are assembled here today, yeah. um, and a little bit about the state of organizing in the delivery sector in, in in Denmark and in Copenhagen. But first, I think we need to go through some of the background, um, some of the history, because it's different in every country. I feel like I still don't fully understand all the rules uh, in Denmark and the, the organizing culture and the union culture. So I guess we should start there. But because this is Cornish Beatty and because our listeners love one thing and one thing above all, I need to ask you about the recent elections in Denmark. Do you have any comments, Any anything that, that would be relevant for, for our discussion today? Any particularly crazy characters or, or exciting stories that uh, to entertain our, our lovely listeners. I guess one thing that we might like comment on is that we actually got a, a formed government now. Um, but I don't know if I do like, do you have anything really exciting to add about the election? <laughs> really boring election? Elections were quite boring. So um, I guess, to understand the current parliamentarian situation in Denmark right now. So we have had almost four years with like a center-left government. Um, and even though we had a lot of austerity and stuff, we also saw like actual improvements um, for the first time in, in very long. Now there's been recent, like, yeah, essentially a month ago, we had elections. And now there's been a center-right government formed with the Social Democrats uh, and the Liberal Party and are like center right party. Um, it looks very bleak. Yes, I guess that could be yeah the name of the center right party. This is a very weird like internal Danish fact. Um, but if that's what the listeners want, so the na- name of the center right party is Moderaterne, and it's a very new party. And there's a very famous Danish political drama called Bone, where the lead is like. Yeah, she's a social liberal as well. And she's portrayed as like this, um, like amazing politicians with very high moral standards. And her party is called Moderaterne. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so they stole the new party in the government has literally stolen the name of a, a TV show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think the TV show could have been more creative. Yeah. Like yeah they're yeah, trying yeah. to, is it really so, so simple? That's what people want. That's what people want. Moderation. Hmm. But like, so now our like the parliament situation is also that you see both uh, uh, political leanings from the left and the right being essentially put out of uh, like um, what you can say like influence in regards to that we have a sense of right government, so they will just continue doing like the status quo that we have been seeing uh, with the austerity measures as Freya has mentioned uh, before. Um, and also, for the first time, we also see like that they are not only just looking with this new government. They have like made a document and, and told like what is going to happen. Not only for this election cycle, but like it's a very timeless document 
So now we're just going to see a Denmark that's going to be like less Scandinavian socialism, Bernie like uh, interesting stuff for Americans to look at, I guess. Um, and yeah, what else is to say? We had a former um, minister of immigration who actually got put into jail for uh, breaking some human rights laws. Now she's in the fourth uh, biggest, no, I think it's the third biggest party uh, in the parliament now. So it's going to go really, really, really right wing and very, very center. So just like every other European country, I guess. Yeah, and this despite the fact, as I understand that, the 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 center left block that was the previous yeah. uh, government <laughs> technically had enough seats mm. to in order to continue the block, but then uh, yeah. the social yes. sided with the center. You don't question the social democratic parties. narrative, man. Like that's yeah. <laughs> no, that's a that's a very good point, Rob. And I think that's uh, that's very central also to understand that like like the nature of the Danish social democracy, like they have actually. They have actively chosen to side with the right this time, um, and I mean historically speaking, they've been like right leaning or like very center leaning um, for many decades now. Uh, we had like during like the like late two thousands or like two thousand and ten, two thousand eleven, two thousand and twelve. We also had a social democratic government that carried through some of the like worst austerity measures that we've seen for a long time. So it's not really a surprise, but it just confirms um, that they cannot, they're not siding with the left. And it's been a very long time since they were an actual left-wing party. What, um, if anything, does this mean for uh, unions and for labor rights and for organizing? My impression is that it's less than, or not so much, actually. Can, can you explain why that is? So I actually think um, there is something to comment on in regards to this because our unions have been actually very um, active in the elections of trying to push against the idea of uh, electing a right-wing government. So I don't know if uh, you remember uh, the whole um, discussion about the mink calling, like the call of minks. It went around like um, the whole... uh, uh, yeah, uh, internet yeah. Uh, for quite a while, and um, like there has been like an outrage against the whole Danish uh, political establishment, which was the the right right wing in, in in parliament has like tried to fetch on and tried actually to make their own narrative in regards to like we don't want we don't ever want Middelfelix, uh, our current prime minister and also our minister last election cycle to actually be. Uh, electable ever again. Um, so uh, what um, the unions actually tried to do this there was also show that because there was like a lot of like movement in regards to getting support from the right wing, essentially also from some of these deindustrialized areas in Denmark, believe it or not, Denmark is a small country, but you can actually see that there is actually like a, um, a, like a divide in regards to like um, workplaces and industry and as, as well as uh, and like uh, all the workplaces actually move into Eastern Europe. So we had, uh, for example, uh, our union 3F, which is also the one organizing the food delivery sector. Uh, Henning Orgo, he was, uh, he's our, he's our big, big guy. He's our union boss. Um, he was, uh, he was saying, uh, 
don't vote for the for the right wing because they will take away your pension and they will cut down uh, your unemployment benefits and stuff like that. Um, then we also had like a really, 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 really long discussion in regards to, like trying to get like the whole uh, just with like the European mi- minimum wage. In Denmark, we like we have a free association of um, like collective bargaining, so we don't have a minimum wage in Denmark, which is like federally um, uh, governed. Um, so like he was trying to push that, and along with the other unions. Uh, but what essentially happened is uh, they actually backed down on this claim after. So they, he 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 said actually, uh, like not even like complimenting or congratulating on forming a new government, but also like. It was pretty ambitious, like he said. Like it, it's it's a pretty ambitious government uh, uh, that they're trying to make now. Where you're just like, what the fuck, man? Like you give like you don't even like f- uh, feed the dog with the with your hand. You like you give the whole hand and then you give the entire body and then you just crawl in the dog's mouth. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, it's really weird. So like, with our union organizing now, we like we have a really weird situation where politically our union leadership is uh, trying to figure out with this new that we don't have we don't have the same interests anymore like we don't have you can't go to the socialist parties and ask for them to uh, fight for your legislation because we don't have that electoral backing anymore so i think right now they try to reconfigure or or engineer themselves into this uh, influence but i don't know I don't think it's gonna happen. So uh, we're gonna see probably like a, a, a union leadership that is gonna be very either passive or very reactionary in regards to like trying to to, to say we, if we fight too much or are too aggressive during also because we also soon have like collective uh, bargaining agreement negotiations for 2023, uh, it can uh, destroy something else. So they're like, let, let's not be too pushy. Um, so, so this does have an impact on our organizing as well. And yeah, just to follow up on that really quickly. So what the new government has stated that they want to do is that they want to increase. It's like classic new liberal politics, like ABC uh, following the manual. So they're going to increase the labor surplus, um, meaning uh, they're going to take away a holiday. They're going to reform the educational sector. Uh, so people are forced uh, to get through the education faster. Uh, they might also, in Denmark, we have like a student benefit. Uh, they might also uh, try to um, make that into like a private loan or something along those lines. They're probably also going to lower the unemployment benefits, like all the classic austerity measures that we know way too well. Um, and yeah, as Rasmus said, like as in every other like at least every other European country, the social democracy and the union movement are very entangled. Uh, a lot of people who are elected um, as union officers or like chairs of unions are a member of the social democrats and they are not going to criticize uh, the government uh, of the party that they're a member of or they're at least going to do it uh, very mildly. Um, this means that the chances that we're going to like see, yeah, as Rasmus said, like aggressive measures, uh, strikes being called and all this is going to be lowered. The good news is that a lot of things in the Danish labor law are not uh, left to the politicians to regulate, but that's left to like the general agreements. 
So in that regard, maybe, yeah, uh, like that, if the Danish system was different, there could be less damage. Uh, but it's definitely looking it's looking bleak. Um, can you elaborate on that and what the? I think it's um, maybe not intuitive for a lot of listeners that like uh, the the powers that trade unions have, at least over regulation, um, setting things like uh, benefits, um, setting things like uh, a not a minimum wage, but but some regulating uh, the wages that people get. Can one of you explain how basically how unions work in Denmark and, and what that means for organizing? So I can try to um, elaborate uh, briefly of what's most important when you are in such a situation as like when you uh, become like a, a worker after you are getting your first job, like what's what's really important for you for, for good for good measure in regards to like know of your legislation. So every uh, um, workplace is regulated by two things. Either it's a general agreement or we also have a very mild um, law in regards to work environment. Um, and this is in regards to like how much that you can uh, uh, we- uh, carry, uh, like the degrees in your workplace, how many hours you're supposed to, to work during a shift. So like you need a resting period, which is 14 hours between the shift, for example. And then we have stuff in regards to pay. That's all in general agreements. These are free associations. So this has been uh, regulated in Denmark uh, and also uh, the other Scandinavian countries in a free association in regards of you have two different branches. So like a union federation and an employer association meeting up uh, to negotiate general agreements. Usually uh, this uh, uh, happens in a very bureaucratized way. So it's for the most uh, like uh, valuable sectors are the, the, the first ones that are actually doing agreements. We have agreements uh, every second year. Uh, so um, every second year, the first uh, private sector starts to negotiate and then the public sector starts to negotiate. Uh, this uh, negotiation process can take a while. Uh, usually it takes over also first a year for them actually like to try to make out a draft in regards to like what do we think about it? pay increases, what do we think think about how much time that we have to work, what do we think about pension, stuff like that. And then afterwards, they actually have to go through like a democratic process. And when I'm saying democratic, it's democratic by proxy. So they actually meet up these these two branches and meet and and talk. And after that, uh, like a a draft is uh, put forward. Uh, as uh, this is what we can uh, vote on. And usually it's the metal workers union that actually start. Um, and uh, for what they vote on, uh, if they vote for a very, very, very shitty agreement, this will reflect on every other sector. Because it starts on who's actually export, like like the most valuable workforce, the most valuable sector is like the one that's actually like uh, most important uh, for um, the labor power. Um, so in regards to like stuff with the, like unemployment benefits, work environment, stuff like that, that is legislation that's like directly uh, under parliament. Uh, but other than that, th- this is like regulated between these two uh, branches here. And then we have a labor court. And that might sound really weird because if it's a free association, how can they set up their own court? 
It's just a private court. If you are not like a recognized union, you can't actually go to court. Um, so that means that like if you have problems with your boss, stuff like that, and you're like and you're and you're not unionized, you can't actually go to take this uh, into court. So that's like briefly how this has been working, and like this is like a compromise that was made um, in in a big labor dispute called um, store lockout. Uh, big the big lockout is if we have to translate to our our, our international audience here uh, in 1899 and uh, this uh, this uh, historical background shows for example that it started with like uh, unions forming up to make a larger federation and the employers being really uh, afraid on like what's going to happen here and uh, then there was a six month uh, dispute and after that they uh, had to negotiate uh, to like how for, for, for the society to run like this is like the social democratic narrative and one of the things there is like the recognize uh, recognizing the unions as the right to negotiate on behalf of workers but also the uh, the corporations right actually to regulate your workforce which is like work stoppage is not allowed anymore for example, like you, you can't just like you actually have to announce when you want to strike, and uh, you can't strike if you're not uh, like um, uh, if if these negotiations break down. But there is one like one uh, one um, exception. It's called uh, like life welfare, like work 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 and health safety regulations. So, for example, if I'm working as a delivery worker, and it, it's not just like. Um, like we get like a typhoon or something that's gonna hit Copenhagen. Let's imagine that won't happen, not right now at, at, at least. Uh, I can say we don't want to go out and work because like this uh, threatens my uh, work and health safety. For uh, but that's like the only reason why, where you can actually do the strike. So this was my very brief introduction. This, this, this I hope it makes sense. <laughs> so yeah. Um, also just to like add to that. So, uh, whenever Danish school kids are taught, uh, about the Danish labor market, there's always one thing that they're taught and it always shocks people who are not from Denmark as well. And that is that Denmark doesn't have a minimum pay, uh, for the reasons that Rasmus just mentioned. Um, so minimum pay, holiday, um, sick leave, all those things are not, uh, in the like labor law that's uh, agreed on in general agreements. This means a company that does not have a general agreement can pay their employees like 50 cents if they want to an hour. It's not illegal. Uh, if they've signed a general agreement, it's illegal. But if they haven't, they can legally do it. Um, so yeah, that is that is one quite crucial thing to understand about the general uh, general agreement system in Denmark. What if I sign in a general agreement saying to pay that I accept 50 cents as pay? Like how do general agreements affect each other? So that wouldn't happen. Like the, <laughs> the thing is that unions would uh, uh, like negotiate on like there's a standard for the industry. Yeah. One, one, one thing that keeps surprising me uh, in talking to both of you is that a lot of things are based off of... Um, I don't know, like implicit agreements or the way things are done, or this is just like the, the standard you operate off of. 
Uh, and then, for example, you get fired, Rasmus, and they're like, well, they're not supposed to do that. I'm like, well, it seems like they're not supposed to do it, but this this system to me, I don't, uh, I, I wouldn't feel very comfortable with it personally, just saying, like, no, 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 it's the way things are done. It'll keep being done this way. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I, I think in regards to my situation, um, and I, I, I think we will probably go more into that as well, um, what... What was actually a problem here is that I'm seen as a small company, and because I'm not, uh, and and along uh, uh, with a lot of other uh, delivery workers um, under this uh, con- under these conditions are misclassified. And when we are misclassified as not as workers, legislation and the social dialogue around it, like holiday pay, sick leave, maternal maternal leave, um, all of this is put out of place and when that happens uh, for example they can fire me from one day to another uh, and uh, of course yeah this is not like an ideal <laughs> I think for us uh, in a Danish context we'd like for like the, the this misclassification to 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 to, uh, to end like we want to get, get reclassified as workers but the problem here right now in like the Danish Uh, labor market. We don't have a common, uh, like your 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 uh, your original um, le- legislative term on what is a worker, and because we don't have that, they can do this. Like in every small bit of law, some might indicate that you're a worker, but not a general comprehensive one. So that's why companies uh, like this can do it, and this is like a very Danish thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that also, like, you hit a very sore spot, Rob, uh, because there are so many cracks in this model. And, I mean, understanding the general agreement system, not just in Denmark, I would say, but, like, the way that it is in many European countries, is also to understand that this is a system that's based on the idea of collaboration. It's based on the idea that both workers and employers have uh, an interest in stability. Uh, So the employers, uh, the capitalists have an interest in workers not striking all the time uh, and being able to produce uh, like fairly steadily. Workers have an interest in uh, not uh, having their pay cut overnight and also have some like minimal amount of social security. And this is the compromise that the whole like general agreement system is based on. Then now we have the problem that there are, I mean, after decades of neoliberalism, more and more companies are not interested in having a stable workforce. They're interested in having this turnover workforce that they can use one day and throw away the next day. And that is what we see with these platform uh, like companies. That is how me and you and Rasmus have been employed. Um, and the problem is that the generalist agreement system is not geared for this. It doesn't know how to how to handle it and it doesn't know how to combat it. And right now the Danish unions are shitting themselves because union density has declined and will continue to decline. Uh, and this whole model is also based on enough companies signing general agreements and enough workers being organized. So when we are in a situation where union density is declining, unions do not manage to actually organize. They do not manage to deal with this new, cope with this new context. Uh, then, I mean, there are more and more cracks in the system and our labor market is getting more insecure. Um, I'd like to ask about one thing in particular, which is the... Um, 
that union density is going down, which it, it is, uh, I think, in most countries, people are familiar with that. But in Denmark in particular, that there are um, like apolitical or you could even say yellow unions are also increasing in numbers from that share. Could you explain that dynamic and, and why people might switch uh, to to those unions? Um, yeah, so in 2000 and, um, 2019, I believe, uh, there was a report released that concluded that like union density was down to like 53%. If we go back to the 90s, union density was up around like 70% on average. Uh, 53% is now the new average. Uh, they tried to track where, like, how has this happened? And as you said, uh, a lot of people have actually quit the membership of the traditional unions and then signed up in like a so-called apolitical or yellow union. And I think to answer your question, the reason for this also comes down to um, like during the late 90s, the 2000s, uh, there was this whole idea that like liberalism had prevailed uh, and this like very individualist discourse and unions tried to tap into this. Like They were like, okay, our discourse about solidarity and community is outdated. It's out of fashion. Then they hired a shit ton of like very expensive consultant companies to come up with a new discourse. So one of the major unions in Denmark, the office worker union, for instance, and I always use this example because it's, it's very sad, but it's very uh, it's it illustrates the point very well. Uh, the office worker union used to have the slogan "Together we are stronger." In the two thousands, they changed their slogan to "Together you are stronger." So the traditional unions have very knowingly eyes open tried to tap into this individualist discourse, try to frame themselves as provider of service, provider of some sort of security. If you get fired, you can get help. We have lawyers; they can help you. Um, the problem is, though, that it also means that less and less people have active experience um, with labor struggle. Uh, we have had strikes and there are like uh, you can like if you look at like scaffolders or nurses, like there are groups on the Danish labor market that are that have very active experience with struggle. But the general picture, I would say, and you can correct me. Rasmus, but if you disagree, is that more and more people have zero experience with what a union actually is. And then these apolitical unions try to like, like their, uh, the appeal of them is essentially that they say, you can get a lot of the same security that you get from the other unions, just cheaper. Uh, because these apolitical unions do not negotiate uh, the general agreements. Uh, so of course they can undercut the traditional unions. Um, and a lot of people sign up in these unions because they've lost like lost faith in the traditional unions. They haven't felt any improvement in their actual work life. Um, and then they think, well, I could might as well just, you know, get the security that I need as an, as a worker, but get it for cheaper money. Yeah, I, I think I mostly also like agree on, on the analysis of fire, but I think uh, while the delay, uh, the emergence of like alternative uh, unionism, because let's call it that as well, like of yellow yellow unions and like trying to look into like this individualist ideology, more or less we also also see a different trend, which I'd say and 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 would argue is arguably stronger, is um, the idea of not doing anything. 
like the apathy that people are not even joining yellow unions. So like the the whole thing of like trying to get yourself involved in an organization that talks about your workplace, that uh, discussion or discourse is not essentially gone, but it's heavily restricted to a private sphere. That we see now that people, instead of trying to fight for their workplaces, they leave their workplaces instead. We talk about like a silent, what is called the the, the big silent uh, quit, quitting. What what's it called again? The whole um, the whole um, stuff about like uh, people uh, leaving their jobs very silently. Um, I think if you look on the Danish situation in that, I think it's a very interesting cultural phenomena going on. Uh, it this also has something to do with people trying to take the and, and leave with the standards as they are right now. And I think what happened, if we have to look back in the 90s as well, is that we have one entire generation of people who got disillusioned, apathetic about their workplace situation. You can see it on the statistics uh, in regards to like um, people leaving their jobs much, much more quicker. Uh, people are, don't don't have the same kind of like um, uh, um, sustainability on the labor market as, for example, our grandparents had. And I think that has a very strong indication of also why do you want to pay dues to something that you essentially will never actually get something about. And so the, the impression I get is that I think some people could look at this situation, especially with even 53% is a much higher union density than a lot of other countries in Europe. But it's almost like uh, the system has produced a lot of... Um, uh, it seems to me that the best that you can call these apolitical unions like free riders, because there is already a collective agreement. There's already a system in place. There is a new collective agreement negotiated every two or three years. And because the system is continuing as such, then every individual there's an incentive for a group to try to undercut that and you can pay few you you still get the 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 benefits covered by the collective agreement but this union is just going to offer you the the minimum benefits that come with the union agreement because it doesn't come from the the government and then everyone can there's like an incentive to uh hollow out maybe that agreement and going back to the well, it's just the way things are done in Denmark. Every two or three years, there will be a new collective agreement negotiated. But it seems to me until one year, there won't be because that that base is slowly being um, yeah. uh, carved out from the inside. And that is something that we fight for because that narrative, uh, it's funny to see how like our union officials, our union uh, leadership in the general union movement in Denmark is actually responding to this instead of actually trying to figure out which future sectors are emerging, which future sectors do we actually need to get involved, they instead, they try to point at you and accuse you and say, how dare you not join our unions? Don't you remember the social foundation, the social dialogue? Like, they, they tell you outright, like a, a teacher talking to you, um, that, like, all of these lessons... Um, if, if 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 you if you're not a member of this, then you are then you are they, then they try to shame you, and I don't think that's like an indicative way of like trying to negotiate uh, or make your your like your your workforce actually be interested. 
in 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 yeah, workplace. And a really interesting thing for the for this as well. Um, a lot of big workplaces today, like we have big supermarkets and stuff like that. Uh, we have like general agreements, but you don't have any union representatives. You don't have any union organizing, and. Uh, the workers' union, not workers' union, <laughs> the office workers' union. Uh, they're also workers. To recorrect, we might have to edit this out. Anyway, um, one of their first uh, historical negotiations uh, was with actually with um, like uh, our our uh, local co- worker co-op uh, supermarkets called Co-op. It's actually one of the worst negotiations or collective bargainings now. Um, so even the, the things that we have right now, even if they have been collectively bargained and negotiated, like just this week, 316 people from one of these um, companies just got laid off and they won't get another job because the general agreements are shit. <laughs> so like they're left on their own. They can go on their unemployment benefits, but they probably won't get a job back in this shop or franchise. Mm. And that's also, I mean, the dilemma that you sort of raise, Rob, of like the free rider dilemma. Like it's a bit of a classic, and it's a like dilemma that the, like Danish union movement and a lot of other union movements around the world are also stru- struggling with the whole question of um, we negotiate, uh, but whatever the outcome of the negotiation negotiations is, apply to everyone. Uh, so. You have seen examples of Danish Union trying to incorporate like tiny benefits into the general agreement that only applies to union members to try to combat this tendency. But the problem is that if uh, if that's the strategy they choose, then you can also very very quickly end up with like a top and a bottom uh, labor market, like an A and a B. Uh, which, I mean, we also have today. It's not like that's not the situation today. Um, I mean, also speaking of your situation, Rasmus, like getting fired from one day to another, that would not happen to a nurse or a scaffolder. Um, So, yeah, it's like, it is definitely a bit of a, a bit of a dilemma. Um, But yeah, that's, it's also the whole question of like, a lot of one of the classic arguments that unions always use is that the more members there are, the better the negotiations outcome. But the problem is that, as you said, Rasmus, the ne- outcome of the negotiations have been shit overall uh, the past years. Like we haven't had a real wage increase uh, for decades, uh, like every other European country, right? So that argument is becoming more and more um, shallow. And less and less people believe it. And then the unions try to tap into this idea of the historical depth that you mentioned, Rasmus. And a lot of the uh, people I've talked to, also people who are very left-leaning, when they have to describe what they associate unions unions with, they would say the emergence of the welfare sector, uh, like, uh, you know, the emergence of the of the labor movement, historically speaking, there's a lot of like this idea of the historical debts that we owe to the unions is very strong in Denmark. Um, and it's something that a lot of also young people are very conscious about. Problem is that it's just not 
it's not enough to uh, to convince people to spend a fair proportion of the salary uh, on a membership, necessarily speaking. And to be honest, like I I can uh, totally understand, and 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 like to come into the core mm-hmm. of this discussion, Definitely. we have to put in some terms to this, like this emergence of lecturing and this like general uh, disproportionate influence or like democratic discussion in the unions is like because of uh, business unionism that we have uh, unions that run like businesses they try to provide you a product rather than this actually being a democratic member organization I am not Uh, subscribing to the ideal that we try to make an A and a B team with collective bargaining agreements. Collective bargaining agreements are strategic and if uh, there's something that I've really understood, being a non-unionized worker with a union membership in a workplace that's heavily non-unionized, like the Wild West, uh, I would also argue that you have to build also on on a force, not necessarily of people who are actually paying dues, but people that you can count with, like people who are actually interested in, in you, people that you can connect with, like a general understanding on solidarity. Like it's a term that we have been uh, misusing, abusing. Uh, it's It's been assaulted. Uh, it's probably get, gotten beaten up like over 200 years soon, like, Everyone says solidarity is the left and the right. I even say it myself sometimes. And honestly, I think it's a fucking cliche sometimes. Like, I hate the, I hate the fucking term. But if we generally want to do this uh, union uh, stuff and be serious about it, we need to talk about how can we have a value in our organizing sector, not sector, our organizing work, which looks on solidarity, uh, because like uh, if this doesn't add up, then these negotiations with will, will continue as far as say, and 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 that that's not good for for the future, and it will also undermine the whole Danish welfare state, which is not even a problem. I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I, I want to ask about some of those, um, let's say, new new directions or uh, new kinds of organizing that are. Um, let's say, growing through the cracks in, in the Danish labor model. Um, I'd like to ask about the unions themselves, because I know, like, in a lot of countries, in Germany, it's certainly the same. In the U.S., there's some unions have turned towards, have rediscovered organizing. What's the what's the state of that in, in Denmark? Um, I think I would like to return to my favorite example, the Office Workers Union. Um, I used to work there, actually, as a student assistant. Uh, and when I worked there back in 2017, I was called in for like a like a employee seminar. All the employees of the union were sat down in the cafeteria, and then we had a talk uh, from one of the like uh, you know top level union officials, uh, where he explained to us that now the whole whole thing, the whole concept, the whole foundation of the Office Workers Union was being redirected. Now the Office Workers Union was to be the organizing union, as if they had invented this, like, holy grail. Um, But I definitely think that we see, like, a lot of unions are becoming aware of the fact that this, uh, 
like strategy of tapping into the liberal discourse about unions being a way to secure yourself has definitely not worked out. Uh, so now they're trying to return to, uh, like, yeah, the concept of organizing. Um, but they do it in a way where they hire a lot of people as quote unquote organizers. Um, if we go back to the 60s and 70s, no unions had a, a person that was hired as an organizer. Um, you had local shop stewards. And then you had like uh, union officers who like did some of the negotiations, but you ha- didn't hire anyone to organize because that was taken care of locally. Um, so you also unions are trying to return to organizing, but they're also doing it in a way where, I mean, they try to professionalize it. Uh, they hire people to do it full time. And in my experience, a lot of the people who are then hired as organizers, uh, they do their best, definitely. But usually they end up recruiting members instead of spending a lot of time building relations with people. And building relations with people is what organizing is about, right? Um, and there's definitely also because of the, uh, like, because union density is decreasing, there's also a lot of pressure uh from the like top of the union to increase uh increase membership so if you're hired as an organizer there's also an expectancy that uh like we have to look at the numbers kind of right like have you increased union density in the sectors that you've been focusing on um and i think i talked to uh like um one of me and rasmus's friends jack who also used to work as a courier and has been employed as an organizer to organize the delivery sector. Um, and he's worked as an organizer now for two years. And Jack and Rasmus, you went to Brussels, right, uh, just last week, where, and I think you can elaborate on this, Rasmus, but where they, um, as far as I understood, you met some some uh, people from the Netherlands who also had worked uh, on organizing the the food delivery sector, but where the focus had not been on recruiting members, but had been on this, like, you know, building up relations uh, and trying to organize bottom-up. Yeah, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, but I think that's very, that would be the way way to go about it, um, more than what we're seeing currently. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it like it needs more elaboration. Um, but, but, but uh, I, I agree on uh, on the sentiments that fire is exposing, because those sentiments are really important to understand, like how um, organizing has been done before. I think what has happened, and I want to like go back to this point again, is that our grievances on our workplace is becoming more and more and more in a prioritized way, more of like an internal uh, shaming, like all of the grievances that you have had, oh, I am not getting paid enough. Perhaps it's because I'm not performing too well on my job. It's just a shit job. This sector shit. I have to find something else Um, or well, my boss was telling me off because I was um, I've not been doing enough, or I have to compete with my uh, colleagues. Like this internal grievance, like this this devil on your shoulder, like this is like pure ideology, 
Pyrrhiorchi, as uh, Shishik would have said. Mm. Um, and like for me, uh, changing that uh, is has been a hell of a um, like um, way of trying to to to, to understand uh, what what has gone wrong. Because like I can talk to Danes about like uh, organizing uh, and work conditions and all of these grievances and people can agree and they know like they know the story or like how the unions were formed and stuff like that but they're not like inclined to do stuff because I think the ideology aren't trying to like internalize this too much to yourself um, has something to do with it but then for example my sector where I'm organizing now and current and all as, and, 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 and been in and gonna stay in as well is like dominantly in another space where people are from backgrounds where they don't have the same kind of privilege. Uh, a privilege where they don't have the same kind of entry to like getting a higher, like climbing up the ladder because they speak Danish or they have a, a red passport. Um, so these people, they rely a lot on their communities as well because one of the ways that you try to survive or try to like insert society is through communities. So like trying to reconfigure that, like trying to meet my colleagues where they are at, for example, coming home to people, uh, l- learning a lot about like why people are here has been for me one of the strongest ways of trying to unionize by not actually mm. trying to unionize. Like I haven't been pushing mm. like the union book. I haven't told them like you need to read your fucking general agreement so you can uh, get your wages up. No, it's been uh, going out and eating um, like our national dish with a colleague, for example. Or What's the national dish? A, yeah, the steak flisk with pasilla sauce. It's like, uh. <laughs> it's like, um, um, like, like pig, pork, pork yeah. in 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 uh, pasilla sauce. Pasilla sauce. We can Does that work usually? In, what? Does someone join the union when they after they eat it? No, yeah, of course not. No, 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 no. <laughs> but we gain confidence in this, like, mm-hmm. like because I, um, trying to invite people into spaces is really good. Uh, and, 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 and for me, um, that's not something I have been able to, to do with every Dane. Like, Danes are shy, and I think they're shy because the internal grievances, it has been adding up, and it's an ideological, historical process happening since the 90s. Mm. Uh, also, just quick comment. No one is ever going to get organized if you tell them, sit down and read your general agreement. <laughs> general agreements are very unsexy to read. I never read my general agreement. <laughs> and like the whole the national dish that Rasmus has mentioned, it definitely spits the waters, but it's more sexy than the general agreement. That's for sure. <laughs> um, can we... I, I'd like, I, I don't want to lose some of these threads, but I want to ask you both about the nurses strike because I think it... Um, gets at a lot of these, uh, the, the dynamics you're talking about. And I think it's a interesting, inspiring, but also just interesting story. Um, can Freya, maybe can, can you start from the beginning, how it came about and, and what happened? Um, yes. So if someone asked me, uh, like how the feminist movement looked like in Denmark, and when someone asks me what's going on uh, in the broader labor movement, I usually point to the nurses. Um, so what happened was that in 2021, we had general agreements for the public sector. 
as everywhere else, nurses had been running insanely fast during Corona, put on a lot of pressure. Uh, back then, during the height of the pandemic, they demanded a higher pay and they were told you have to wait to the general agreements uh, or the negotiations about the general agreements. That how, that's how the system works. Then they waited. There were negotiations. Um, the result was, yeah, not very good, to put it mildly. Uh, and the argument for why they had to accept that was that that was Corona. So now there was also an economic crisis and you couldn't, like public spending had already increased. You couldn't increase public spending more by uh, giving out, out high, higher wages. Um, this general agreement was put to a vote. And this general agreement covers uh, the whole public sector in Denmark, not just the nurses. The nurses, though, they were the only group that voted no to this proposal. Uh, key note on the nurses, they, the nurses have been like pulling off a big strike every decade. Uh, they pulled off a big strike in the 90s. They pulled, a, out, they pulled off a big strike in 2008. Um, And they voted no again. Uh, like the nurses are, they're bitter and they're ready, ready to fight for it. Uh, so they striked over the course of a month uh, during summer 2021. Uh, as some of the people listening might remember, 2021, uh, the summer 2021 was also uh, the summer of the Euro Cup. Um, so they striked in July. And if you had to pick a month to strike in, uh, July is probably the worst month. Uh, all the other public sector unions abandoned them. Like there were a few uh, unions that supported them, but it was mainly the like, uh, you know, minor, more like radical left-wing unions. Um, and the government, which was back then the social democratic left, center-left government, also ignored them. Uh, so the strike drowned in Euro Cup and holiday and stuff. Then fast forward to August, uh, then the government intervenes and stops the strike. And this is another very important crack uh, to highlight in the so-called uh, general agreement model in Denmark, that the government has the power, the government holds the power to stop a strike, to intervene and stop a strike. This is based on the idea that the state is some sort of like neutral, uh, neutral player in the game. And in the case of the public sector, uh, They like this becomes very contradictory more than it is with the private sector because the, the government is also the ones that sets the public bu budgets, obviously. So the government intervened, stopped the strike. Fast forward two months, then the like nurses start a wildcat strike. Uh, it's very disorganized at first. Uh, it starts with just one group of nurses walking out as a way to protest. And then um, the same happens at a different hospital a week later. And then they start uh, doing rounds, essentially. So they take turns uh, striking different workers at different hospitals. They strike for an hour a day because it's a legal strike, so they're fined for every hour they're striking. Uh, and this continued until uh, yeah, late November. Um, and this was very significant. You don't see... Uh, public sector workers wildcard striking very often and it's also significant because it was organized completely uh, by the nurses themselves. It was organized via Facebook groups. Um, it was a very simple um, way to do it, like walk out, 
stand outside for an hour uh, and then walk in uh, or walk back in. One of the challenges was also that because it was so disorganized, um, then like I went to a lot of these white call strikes and often they stood there and they didn't really knew what to do or what to chant. Um, but a lot of them also came after it and learned it along the way. Uh, and you saw a lot of like nurses starting to coordinate as well and started to make alliances also with carers and stuff. Um, and right now we're facing a situation where, um, so the nurses stopped the strike and they, the government ended up giving them some money. Um, it did not solve the problem at all, but the need for a pay raise is something that's being talked about a lot. The need to, um, like, to do something about the gender pay gap is also a very hot topic. And we have we're having general agreement negotiations in two thousand and twenty-four, um, which I mean, a lot of public sector workers are ready for that, and the nurses are definitely ready for that. Um, so yeah. That is a very a very long summary, um, but it's just to say that this is one of the very interesting things happening right now. Looking looking at Denmark, and to add something in regards to that, like um, there's unfortunately also been an attack on the on like the organic leaders leaving the sector. Uh, it's a whole new uh, strategy, also been been using by um, uh, employees. Usually we've seen this in like the private sector, but not as much in the public sector, of people getting so aggressively harassed by uh, like the government essentially. So like it's like telling people that like you will lose your job, like uh, and threatening them like that they have to go to work, uh, and then like they these people felt so forced to leave. Uh, so people. They they were all seen as troublemakers, but good people, good good nurses, good uh, colleagues, uh, were thrown out, and had to change their jobs, switch their jobs, leave a leave a, a sector that they like. And for me, uh, this kind of sacrifice that you try to do in your sector, in regards to you care for your colleagues, you care for uh, your 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 patients, you care for your your society, your community. And the government is essentially doing this against you. For me, it's like a big betrayal. Uh, and especially also if you look at a government that is aligned with the labor movement, when the social democrats uh, uh, either implicitly uh, by ignoring you, essentially don't give a shit about you. Uh, for me, this shows me why the People are getting so disenfranchised and don't even want to vote for left parties anymore. Uh, so, just to to pick this up again, uh, we also see uh, like an aggressive stance towards people speaking up in their workplaces, even in government uh, situations where people are actually getting more protected in the freedom of speech. Yeah, so increased union busting, essentially. Yeah. I thought the government was supposed to let the the employers and the unions work it out themselves. That seems like cheating. <laughs> it is cheating. <laughs> On the topic of government involvement, um, Rasmus, can you clarify this self-employment and employment situation, both like how it's defined by the government, if at all, and practically how it works 
for workers when they when they are covered by a general agreement, when not, how the unions are involved, etc. That's a very broad, um, yeah, discussion, Rob. <laughs> um, and I'll try to make it brief by summarizing some of the 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 the, the points that are actually made right now. Um, in the current discourse because it's a discourse that's been going on for a while now uh, and it's really interesting because historically it hasn't really been that that's much of an issue um, in certain sectors it's been growing and growing and growing and growing but essentially this this whole misclassification is um, really 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 um, uh, yeah recent and new and emerging so in regards to uh, how social dialogue is made in legislation, it's based on recognizing relations as they are inherently operating. So that means that um, we have never actually had like a really uh, coherent um, definition, juridical legislative uh, definition in regards to what a worker is. So in bits of legislation, for example, insurance, immigration law, um, but also the whole whole type of like legislation in regards to um, uh, em- employees is based on this. So um, if you're not uh, covered by an employee relation, you just set, set out like different kinds of legislation that inherently doesn't make sense for you anymore. So you're not entitled to sick pay, holiday benefits, freedom of speech even. Like you're not protected by anything because you can't go and um, and say my workplace is inherently misclassifying me, for example, because they see you as a company. Like for, for example, um, when you're uh, for example, uh, like self-employed, you have your own company. Like, it would, I would be able to set up my own, uh, like, business and contract and stuff like that. But the problem is a lot of these companies now, and also for my situation as well, I've been working at a workplace where there's been uh, one, one, one thing in regards to that we don't have control over our clients. So even being self-employed by using an app on my phone, a partner app. Uh, I have essentially been taking tasks from this app, this app that I don't have any shares in. I don't even know like what the incentives are for, like um, what kind of commission that they have to pay each restaurant. So all of these kind of things are uh, like bogus. So we call this bogus uh, self-employment. So what uh, the, the whole thing that's been happening in, in, in Europe and essentially also in Denmark right now is because there's been an emergence of these um, platforms, especially in the food delivery sector. Uh, we have companies like I can, I can just mention a few like Fedora, Deliberate, uh, Just Eat, Bolt. Uh, there's like gorillas uh, and and so on and so on and so on. Some of these are under like normal employee relation status, but some of them aren't. And the the companies that are not, they have thought about like how can we profit maximize 
this so they like they are like market intruders like they intrude they use intrusive tactics that like our market is unstable like they, 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 the companies here for example just this is really interesting in regards to this like the Ferrando, they say oh we have these disruptors they are not playing by the law and stuff like that why are we then supposed to play by the law so because this has been happening this is like an interest from both the left and the right that essentially the compromise the class compromise that like the welfare state has made the social dialogue is set apart when we are being focused self-employed. So, like, there's both an interest from, like, the Danish employee associations and also the Danish labor movement and the restaurants and, like, society as a whole to fix this shit because the misclassification has a lot of implications in tax, insurance, uh, and companies being uh, mistreated, essentially. And yeah, something I want to add to what you're saying, Rasmus, is also that, of course, this um, company's calling workers self-employed um, is, of course, like, you know, it's a part of a like larger trend of precarization. I work both on a zero-hour contract and as a self-employed. And we have also seen an increase in zero-hour contracts in Denmark. Um, and even though they share a lot of the same traits, then when I worked on a zero-hour contract, uh, I didn't have to report my own taxes. That was taken care of. Uh, I got all the equipment I needed. Um, I worked at a school, so it wasn't like I needed that much work. That I needed that much work. That I needed that much work equipment. That sentence was difficult <laughs> for some reason, uh, as such. But for instance, if I if one of the kids broke my phone my workplace would um, replace it for me, stuff like that. That did not apply to me when I worked as self-employed. Had to report my own taxes. And for me, as a native Danish speaker, uh, who's also uh, taking a university, doing a university degree, the tax system is difficult to figure out. Uh, A lot of my co-workers uh, were new in Denmark, did not speak Danish. Uh, the English webpage, uh, the English tax uh, webpage is not very helpful. Um, and obviously you have to provide all your, your own equipment. Um, so I think something that's very central to understand about this like uh, loophole that companies have found calling workers self-employed is also that it is really the example of the most extreme case of like outsourcing of a employer responsibility um and yeah i would any day prefer a zero-hour contract over being quote-unquote self-employed and not that zero-hour contracts are great they're really not (laughs) they are pretty shit as well and there's also a pattern in regards to this because that um so why are there so many people working in these companies because food delivery is actually growing and we actually see a number of uh, uh, self-employed or registered self-employed couriers uh, work. Um, and there are for me um, two primary reasons. One of them is uh, based on how this whole sector, it's a business, it's a, it's a, it's an unofficial business practice. And what I'm going to say might sound conspiratorial as fuck, but um, 
in Denmark, there's been happening a lot of um, restrictions in regards to migration and immigration over the last five or six years. Uh, for almost a decade now, you have seen a lot of restrictions for earnings that you need if you don't have a European work permit, if you're not in the Schengen zone. So if you're not a part of any European uh, Union country, you need to earn something in regards to your stay in Denmark. And if you don't do that, you get deported. And that's a whole lot of money. So, for example, if you if you are come from countries like Syria, if you come from countries like Eritrea, um, these are also some countries where some of our colleagues come from. Uh, they work 17, 18 hours. And I said something about that you have uh, uh, with employee um, legisla- legislation in regards to this, like that you need like a, a, a resting time, like this is required, it, it's, it's regulated through a normal contract, a work contract of 16 or 17 hours, if I recall. Um, these people work like crazy. They work 10 hours every day on a bike, on a scooter, in a car. And the companies are dependent on these full-timers. So it's people being making hazardous, delivery, hazardous deliveries, but also, uh, yeah, uh, these companies rely on this because they they, they, they don't want to spend money on this. They want to just do profit maximize. Um, but this is a special case in this because we have actually, because a lot of these self-employed couriers, um, they sometimes, and it's actually regarding to the season sometimes, it's like the, how the wind blows because there's a lot of onboarding and a lot of turnover. So, of course, like trying to talk about like who is the courier and what's the courier mindset, it changes like during the seasons. But a lot of them, in my own experience, is that they actually see the company as an em- employer, but they also see themselves sometimes as self-employed. But when they see them, when they see Bolt as an employer, and they've actually been trying to fight for stuff like that, we have gotten stuff like insurance, for example. <laughs> when you are a Bolt courier, you're self-employed, but you have an insurance, like <laughs> a workplace would have an insurance. Um, and but then there's like other um, companies, right? Like Fedora, like um, so. A lot of couriers are also multi-apping which is like trying to maximize the amount of uh, work that you have. I was also mooching when I was doing what, because um, it was going bad sometimes. And Fedora uh, doesn't has, have uh, uh, like a self-insurance, like, like insurance. So for example, if I get hit by a car, it's my own fault. And then sometimes they call you like, um, I was uh, called <laughs> this week. Uh, they were asking me if I could take any shifts and I'm like, okay, interesting. Like, am I not supposed to be self-employed? Like, I want to go on when I want to go on. Like, this is not how it's supposed to work. Like, I have my own company. I still have my own company now. Even even though, like, I I work I work several career jobs. I have my own business. Like, <laughs> um, and, and, and that's the problem with this. Um, and then we also have the other one, like the other part of this workforce, the students, the, the, the students who are here, and, and, and like expat students, exchange students, for them to receive social, like, like any of the social uh, benefits, they also have to work. So two workforces, 
the full-timers coming from extreme precarity and the other ones, people who, if they want to stay and study or try to make a better living, they, they need to because the government has essentially made them, uh, like, uh, to say how it is, uh, a forcible work situation. Um, I want to hear some of the stories of what it's like to organize a vault. Um, how is it just, you, you can take it any direction you want. I do at some point want to hear about the Facebook group. I'm very curious about this giant Facebook group and some of the discussions that happen in there. Okay. Um, so I think Freya also has a lot to add in this, but uh, there are essentially three kinds of ways that we have been trying to go and organize uh, my cookies. One of them is the direct where we meet uh, and we try to talk to people. The second one is actually when I've had the uh, advantage of meeting couriers and very, at very busy restaurants or, or hotspots. And the third one is actually when we actually get uh, in contact with couriers. Um, the first one is actually something that's been we have been trying to engineer or try to change or modify uh, in what patterns has been done. For example, you can't just go up to someone and say, hello, join our union and read our fucking general agreement. Like, that's not how, how stuff works. So basically, Fire and I, we have been standing outside of McDonald's two winters in a row, every fucking Thursday, uh, for three hours when it's been fucking cold, when COVID was hitting us uh, and uh, just talking to couriers. And we try to gather context. We try to hear about like how uh, keep up the good negotiation, not negotiation, the, 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 the social dialogue, like what's going on, how, uh, no, no, we need to know the, the, who who's actually on the streets, but also like who's still doing this full time. Because like we need to focus on which groups uh, and which which group of people are actually those who are most dependent on the job. Because th- these are the people we are gonna see a lot, and this is also based a lot about there are a lot of divides. Uh, understanding this as a workplace is also very sectarian. Like people divide themselves into different communities based on language and culture, and the. Uh, then we also have like the Danish exception. The Danes are the, Dan, the Danish world couriers are, are a very special uh, vocal minority of people who are really what can I say special, <laughs> which are there. It's not people that we have been focusing a lot on. Like we have mostly been focusing on people who are dependent on the job and want want to stay in this sector as well. Uh, so students is also something that we have been like not that uh, involved in because it, does, it has not made any sense for us to do that in, in, in regard to that but mostly full-timers um, it's people who work uh, as I said 10-12 hours a day They most of them also actually have family believe it or not like people actually don't just like go to sleep at a hostel and then they go out and work again it's people who have a livelihood. Like if they don't go out and work, they will get kicked out. Simple as that. Um, the second thing that we do, uh, or I've been doing this as well, and, and a lot of the other couriers that we we, uh, we organize with, is talking to couriers on the job. This is very stressful because, like, 
you go into a mind of like, of course, you don't want to preach, you don't want to, you don't want to like do a, a like a preaching to the choir. Like you just listen and you, you ask a lot of questions, and then you say hello. Um, we are some couriers who actually want to see our community talk about like our situation. We want to see our community uh, that we know a lot of people on the streets. We see each other a lot. Like I know who you are. You have seen me in the streets five days in a row. Why don't we ever talk to, to each other? Can I get your WhatsApp? And then I just have a contact <laughs> contact list of a lot of couriers. Sometimes after that, like I, I try to arrange, like we can meet up. Uh, not talk union stuff, but like talk about courier stuff. Uh, courier stuff is broad. It can be anything. It can be talking about equipment. It can be talking about different restaurants that are really shitty. Um, but generally try to make the connection because like unionizing, of course, that's a political, not a political project. It's a, it's a project of something we want to do, but it's always in the background. Like unionizing is more like a, uh, like, like it's, um, it's a, it's a phenomena rather than actually like, you can't, you can't push, you can't push like people to like you. <laughs> like you, you need to, you need to prevent people like just being a normal person. And the third one, as you mentioned, the big Facebook group, it's a shit, it's a shit show, but like, it's, um, what can I say? It's our way of trying to talk to people that we don't really usually don't meet. And it's more of a con than a pro, but in this way and, digi- uh, and, and, and unfortunately also this time of digital organizing, we need to like also be dependent on this. There are some, of course, like not all careers agree. Um, and like we do a lot of like uh, discussion in regards to this of like saying, uh, I don't want to force like for, I, I say this to everyone like people know my agenda like I have an agenda I say to them I have an agenda not hello my name is Gazellen I have an agenda but like they say I'm a member of 3F like I want a collective bargaining agreement you can't uh, like you, you can't lie to people and say like uh, I know these 3F guys like I, I, I've, I've been very frank like I, I say we can talk about your discussion if you want to change something and stuff like that, but you know my position on this. I want to support what you want to do. For example, if people want to get, like help a colleague get reinstated, if people want to like arrange something, then we have been up to doing that. Sometimes it, this has been heavily based on blind faith and it can go in every direction. But like pushing yourself out in this has also made us a lot more resilient to... Uh, getting things done, getting insurance, talking about courier harassment, like keeping up these discourses, like uh, it's been very important for us to do this. Uh, yeah, I hope that's that was like an attempt to try to to, to maximize or uh, like summarize the the points. Freya, can, yeah. maybe you can add some more to this. Yeah, and also just one concrete thing I want to highlight is uh, now we talked a bit about insurance, and that's actually one of the uh, victories, like minor victories, but still like a very important victory um, that we gained. So if we go back to like 2019, the insurance that uh, Vault couriers were covered by uh, was it was only like they they were only 
insurance money, uh, they were only eligible for like receiving re- uh, insurance money if they went blind, if they died, or if they were hospitalized. Um, it was this extreme case. So they had insurance on paper, but if you actually read what the insurance covered, it was absolutely ridiculous. Then one, um, like one uh, world courier, uh, had had a bike crash and uh, got a very like bad bone fracture, uh, and he was not covered by secure by uh, insurance. And we started a petition and tried to push for better insurance. And then Vault actually ended up including bone fractures in in the insurance. Uh, obviously, still like far from the standard insurance that a lot of people are covered by in Denmark. Uh, but it is an example of that we have actually managed to like gain some small victories and to build some power. And I think in relation to what you said, Rasmus, there are like two things when it comes to like how we try to organize. There's the build a structure part. That's also building a Facebook group that's not moderated by Vault, um, where we try to like add people. A lot of uh, couriers are very confused what this Facebook group is. They often think that it is the official like a uh, Facebook group managed by Walt or moderated by Walt. Um, yeah, which has resulted in some funny uh, misunderstandings sometimes. Uh, it's also a part of building structure. Uh, it's also getting people's contacts, as Rasmus mentions, and basically letting people know that uh, the union e- exists and that World Workers Group exists. Then there's also the other aspect of our organizing effort, like trying to activate people uh, and try to provide concrete support. Uh, so this is taking on cases as we did with the um, like courier who had a bone fracture, uh, trying to take on, on that case. 3F took it to court, even though he wasn't organized at the time, uh, which is also, I mean, something, I think, generally speaking, uh, working with 3F, has like the 3F has definitely been willing to make an effort, uh, also more of an effort than you often see these mainstream unions make. Uh, that's for sure. Um, we've also held like bike repair workshops, uh, tax meetings where people can learn how to pay their, their taxes, and of course, like, uh, also there are also a few people who've been like become active in the world workers group. Um, I think. The thing to understand about Vault couriers and what can be difficult in the case of Vault specifically and where it differs from Gorillas or Flink in Germany um, is that the earnings are actually quite good sometimes when there's a high demand. Um, the money can be quite good, uh, especially if you compare it to like cleanings or like the cleaning sector, restaurant sector. Uh, you can earn more working as a courier. Um, but it's also very much like here and now money. And that's also the thing, a general agreement uh, is not going to increase their earnings a lot. Uh, it is going to provide a more like long-term uh, security, um, but it's not going to be a massive increase in earnings. And maybe it's even going to be uh, like compared to when there's an absolute peak, it's maybe even going to be a decrease. But then the thing is that the salary is not going to be fluctuating that much. You're always secured like a somewhat stable pay. Um, but a lot of couriers are very much for very good reason. I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh, but it's 
very much focused on like how much can I earn here now? How much can I like earn tomorrow? Because people need money. We all do. Um, and we have also faced a bit of like distrust when it comes to, I mean, unions in Denmark are incredibly institutionalized. Um, and this is no secret. And Korea's also know this. Uh, so there's definitely also been a bit of distrust, which has proven difficult. Um, so, I mean, on one hand, being a part of World Workers Group, which is very much like a grassroots union group, uh, has been it has been good in terms of resources. And I think 3F has tried to um, also let us do our own thing to a certain extent. Uh, but it has also proven difficult because you are automatically a part of a very institutionalized union system that comes with some, uh, yeah, some limitations sometimes. Um, yeah, so that is also one of the one of the dilemmas when it comes to like trying to do grassroots within a major inst- institution. You look like you want to say something, Rasmus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but a thing which I have learned a lot about disorganizing and, and, and why I have never actually been like disenfranchised because like, to be honest, this sector is fucking terrible like to organize because the sustainability and the future and like nobody thinks about that, not even the fucking companies. Like they just change name or rebrand them rebrand themselves so like get bought by another like fucking shareholder or something um it's like the power of community that is very reliant on people that you know like as soon as you actually lose the faces on people that you try to organize with your your power your power extinguishes like if from one day to another like if you don't talk to people like you know this as well like if i i sometimes compare this like to having a, a, a partner for example, if you go and uh, go and uh, never see your partner, and you're just like, "Hey, do you want to go out for dinner tonight or something?" and they're like, "No, I haven't seen you in like a fucking year or something." Of course, like people will uh, tr- treat you as like a stranger. Um, this is not based on life experience, but um, hard lessons. <laughs> hard lessons, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all of the breakups, all of them. Uh, but um, I think uh, we have shown when we have actually like gotten actual phases and we talk to couriers and couriers are in the steering and vehicle of change, which is something what workers group has been really good at because we are not depend like we, we, we are not dependent on legislation because legislation can't help us. Like we tell, we tell people, frankly, like um, I, I spoke to a courier, which we got reinstated uh, like a few, like half a year ago, something. Uh, he 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 uh, like he shared our story with us and stuff like that. Uh, we found we found like his post on Reddit where he said that he got terminated for some some really weird grounds, like from one day to another. The same kind of reasons that I was 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 kicked and like uh, losing his income from one day to another. Not the same reasoning. Um, my, mine's is actually like <laughs> they gave me a reason and stuff like that, which is weird. Uh, anyway. Uh, but we said I, we said to him really frank, like we can't help you with like getting a lawyer. We can't help you with uh, like getting your job back from one day to another. I can't promise you anything, like. But what I can give you is the faith that we have a strong enough community that will actually give a shit. And when people start giving a shit, stuff get gets done. We made one post 
and we started like we 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 were we were making a warning that we were gonna make a petition, we're gonna make hell. He got reinstated the day after. Like for me, Bolt doesn't know they can't monitor this kind of power, and because it's so explosive, is the reason why this grassroots organizing is so potent on change, but is also very 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 strange. Of like trying to 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 do something about, um, so it doesn't work in like a, in a fixed structure. Rasmus, can you talk about the the strike that you organized recently and what happened afterwards? Okay, so just to make a disclaimer, I wasn't actually organizing it. I was participating in something that was actually going on. Um, okay. So, uh, and I just need to 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 uh, to, to really clarify that. Um, for, no, for obvious, for obvious I'm not suggesting anything. and cases and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, I and Freya uh, and some other of uh, our rank and filers in the group uh, got in contact and know some of the Argentinian community uh, of Koreans. They have been uh, really, really, really restless in regards to the... Um, impotence of uh, increases in the sector, like uh, wage increases hasn't been done per tech for over two years, so how measurements are uh, are done for wage increases is based on per distance, and the task fee is like 35 kroner, which is like 5 euro or something. Yeah? Yeah, 5 euro. Um, Imagine that also being really shitty during an energy crisis and inflation in all of Europe and, and and like your your so-called uh, partner doesn't want to fucking meet up and talk about this is a problem. So people uh, got really, really, really angry. And uh, these uh, couriers here, uh, we have been trying to support them for a long time. Like we've been talking and, and meeting up at different hubs where couriers are, are close uh, by it, actually to try and organize with them. Um, so they know us. And like we have been supporting and and, and, and and doing a lot of assistance in the work, but it's but it's been them who's like being at the forefront. Um, so they announced that they wanted to do a rally the day on the election, <laughs> which was uh, a surprise for everyone. And we have had some difficulties in trying to organize for a while with them as well, because like there are some, as I said, not everyone ag- agrees on which strategy uh, or even have a coherent strategy um, so it means that like the food delivery scene in Denmark is not heavily fractured like we know people who are in different situations but they don't always want to talk excuse me um, so uh, yeah I, I we, we showed up at the rally uh, and wanted to support them uh, and we didn't really know like what kind of like surprise of how many people would come and then suddenly we were 10, then we were 60, and then we were 80 people at Nørrebro's Runde, which is like in the center, in the heart of the city. Uh, and it was crazy. Uh, people got like, we can actually shut down operations. So it evolved into a wildcat. A wildcat where people went online, and they started taking orders, and then they just waited. Uh, almost an hour because in our contract if you don't take uh, you can you can reject tasks within an hour mm-hmm. without any pen, uh, penalties so 
uh, I know Curious uh, ha- has done this before, um, but um, this was like a trying to like uh, m- make not make a work stoppage, but like work by rule action. Does it make sense? Yeah. So like a, it's a it's a it was a strike. Um, so what happened was that uh, we went around the whole city. Uh, we went around like uh, uh, like uh, also when the politicians were meeting up like to talk about and announcing now now the now the uh, this, the the parliament election is going on. You can actually see like a, a rally of bulk couriers coming behind and honking on their on their scooters and stuff like that. Uh, it was crazy and like. Uh, I was uh, reluctant on like trying to engage myself fully because it was I, for example, they know what I am, but I'm also I was a minority in this situation as well, so I I don't I didn't want to go and say blah, 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 because I didn't organize it. I like I wasn't I wasn't organizing it with what workers group we were supporting them, but um, we were asked to hold a speech. At the at the town square, uh, and uh, there I talked about us trying to ally ourselves with the other like courier groups, talking about the German conditions and the Belgian conditions, the French conditions, stuff like that. Like why that it doesn't make sense for us not to try and unite our powers. But I also said that Bolt is probably gonna shit on us. <laughs> like they will try to make a PR move. They usually do this. Uh, so don't get yourself ahead that if even if they show themselves we need to keep our pressure and lo and behold we came up to the headquarters to was where the demo was supposed to end uh, they came out with a cargo bike filled with soda keep in mind that people have been trying to organize uh, and trying to pressure but for this claim for almost six or seven months this has been a claim for wage increases since a strike in February, actually, last year. These people are living from hand to mouth. People come out with soda. They try to give you a soda and they say, like, uh, do, like, like th- this is an invitation to, like, a bogus dialogue, essentially, mm-hmm. in, in, in their view. Um, and I was so... I must say, involved emotionally at this point that I got angry. I was uh, <clears throat> uh, speaking to them in Danish and said to them, you only do this because these are migrants. You wouldn't even fucking take this yourself if people, if, if, if this was a den. Like, you wouldn't negotiate yourself with soda. How dare you? Five weeks after, the day before the election day, I got a mail that I received that I was terminated. I was terminated for using my time as a vote courier in this letter they say, for using every day to criticize the premise of the partnership, that I wasn't taking it serious. And the second claim that I was threatening one of their workers. Hmm. I can't go to court with this. 
because I am a, I am a company. They terminated or deactivated me rather, actually, from one day to another. I lost a month's wages. I am now in a situation where, because we also went public with this, uh, essentially, uh, now everyone knows this mail of termination. So now people can read and make up their own minds of this termination letter, whether or not I have been threatening. To live with this uncertainty creates a really anxious uh, situation, to be honest. Like, of course, you live. I live with a precarity on that it has taken a lot of personal issues with me. Uh, like, I had to... Like, I my, my family is, of course, really stressed about this as well. Um, a lot of my friends are really stressed about this. Um, and I was... Uh, Yeah, and I'm broke. <laughs> uh, like, um, I don't uh, like I'm, I'm I'm financially on my feet again now because I got a new job, fortunately, and I was multi-apping at the time as well, so I I could readjust. Um, but they essentially, uh, yeah, terminated me. Uh, i have a suspicion, a growing suspicion, it has something to do with my union organizing. But I cannot go to court because I'm a company and I'm not protected by legislative grounds. So this claim, or whatever the fuck I think in regards to this, doesn't even matter because we can't get a court ruling. And because we can't get a court ruling, I'm in a situation where I don't know why they fired me. They can say whatever they want. They have been using a lot of time to talk about my grounds, my motives, my motivations, who I am as a person. I have been called a revolutionary trying to disrupt the Danish like the Danish delivery sector. I've been called a troublemaker. I've been called a agent. I've been called a mole. But most of all, I have been dehumanized. I get really offended personally. They have, um, they can go home to themselves, have the like and operate as they want to. Nobody has been hurt. Like, I have not. They haven't been thrown any like, uh, uh, like like they haven't filed any like uh, su su suing or something like that. And I think for me, in being this this uncertainty. Is actually more powerful for them because they have destroyed essentially my livelihood. Hmm. Well, like you said, um, the, the the any kind of action uh, from the workers, you can expect something from the from the company, whether it's PR or the, both both in public and behind the scenes. You can say. Yeah. And the problem with this, I'd say, is also. Uh, <clears throat> With the Danish uh, media narrative, it has been focusing a lot on me. To be honest, like I'm a grain of salt in this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a grain of salt. Uh, like a small sand grain. Like I'm not fucking important in this. Like I'm not, I'm not the European Parliament. <laughs> I am not uh, an association. I'm not a union federation. I'm just a fucking rank and filer. Honestly, biking around, earning 35 corner 
reach tech, like what the fuck did I ever say or do or talk to? Like I won't do anything. Like I, I don't have influence on the financial markets. Like the shareholders and anyone doesn't even fucking know me. Like they don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, and uh, for them to do this. I'm I'm still really shocked because I didn't think that they'd do it, and also they have essentially made it clear that they don't want rank and file union activity going on, at least in the views of my colleagues. After I got what? fired, uh, there was a small wildcat strike, but it's the first time that we've ever actually had to uh, shroud our faces visibly. People don't want to be seen anymore, associated with World Workers Group in public, because people are afraid of losing their income. Yeah, can you explain quickly why you thought they wouldn't fire you, or what the protections are, or what the standard is, usually, for for union activists union or union thing organizers? Is in uh, like, but we don't know if they have actually done union busting. Like in principle, like we could d- discuss this in in like. From 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 Copenhagen to to Berlin, uh, like in a train, and 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 discuss all of these principalities, and essentially what I mean in this is like if we don't have a court ruling, whatever I think about this is doesn't give like it doesn't mean anything. Um, of course we have uh, protections, but as is, but I'm just seen as like a subcontracted company. So they just cut off the ties and like I have to live with that. Uh, essentially, um, I have also been active in like I'm a uh, I'm a public face. Like uh, they know me. I'm the gazelle, uh, of course. Um, <laughs> and because of this, they know me. Like 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 the, the Bolt as a company knows the key like faces outward. Like they know Freya. They know me. They know, like, it's not as, like, we're any any important people. Like, we're just, like, a bunch of um, different people discussing and uh, participating in the discourse. Uh, but I'm not, like, in prohibited to talk about what, like, I'm not, like, I don't, I'm not restricted in any kind of way. I don't have, like, um, like, we have a loyalty, loyalty pledge in normal work contracts. I'm not prohibited by that. And even by loyalty contracts and loyalty pledge, um, you still have freedom of speech, so this is always a discussion. Um, but this, this, this doesn't really reflect on the whole freedom of speech. But inherently, this has something to do with it, of course. Like union organizing is inherently forbidden in sectors that are using misclassification as a business practice. What's the? Um, sorry, do you want to say something? Uh, and maybe also just a bit of background because you asked what are like what are the protections uh, or like how are you protected uh, being a platform worker and on paper nothing like there are no protections as we already discussed but and I think also to tie it all together I think why it also made sense for us to start talking about like the Danish labor market in general the attitude towards unionizing in Denmark is also that um like the unions are really really afraid of this uh loophole in the legislation of this way of self-employing people uh 
this also means that uh, 3F has been attacking Vault quite a lot, also publicly in the media. Uh, Vault has hired a, like several PR people just to sort of like counter these attacks. Uh, like it's always the same person who, uh, yeah, will like go forward in the media and like try to defend Vault. Um, so Vault is definitely afraid of. Uh, getting a bad rep and a lot of people in Denmark exactly because of this historical depth that we talked about before this idea that like we owe uh, the union movement um, a lot of the security a lot of the comfortability that we have in Danish society today this can be traced back to the early labor movements and we we have some like depth to the union movement this also means that even though union density is declining a lot of people in Denmark are, are quite positive towards unions, um, generally speaking, and are quite n- and have a quite negative attitude towards uh, like these big multinational uh, companies. Um, so Vault is definitely afraid of having of of getting a bad rep. This is not the first time that Vault is being criticized in the media by couriers. Back in 2018 when Vault Workers Group started, uh this happened, like, there were couriers criticizing Walt during Corona. Uh, there was a lot of media attention. Um, a lot of couriers uh, who were active in Walt Workers Group back then went on national TV prime time and criticized Walt. Uh, but this is the first time that couriers who have publicly criticized Walt has been terminated. And when I heard that you've been terminated, Rasmus, I was really... Like I was a bit shocked and I was also very worried because I was I couldn't help thinking that if they are not afraid to terminate you now, like you don't have any protection of pay on paper, but if they have taken the step to terminate you, knowing that you would probably raise hell in the media, knowing that they would have to endure a bit of bad press, then like who are then protected? Uh, like if they are gonna terminate you, someone who's like quite vocal, has a lot of like contact to the media, who's Danish, uh, a lot of like your coworkers are very easy to terminate. Then, uh, and as you mentioned, there were eighty people participating in that in that protest. Um, so I think this marks a bit of a shift as well. Uh, also, like what steps Volt and other platform companies are willing to take. Uh, and how secure they are of themselves. Mm-hmm. And now Rasmus want to say something. Have we cut you off, Rob? Do you want to steer oh, this in a different oh, direction? Yeah. But I, but I, I, I think like that was also like really important in regards to understanding um, the primary reasoning why I'm also really scared or worried or anxious right now is like. Because we know that they monitor uh, people, like they know, and we know, like right now, we are gathering evidence for people that we know got terminated, and and, and I and I am getting a lot of personal messages right now uh, by people that I know um, have gotten terminated, and it's heartbreaking. Like um, I can endure getting my name shit by by like for me that doesn't really matter anymore. Like they they have they have like they can call me whatever they fucking want right now. Like I I don't know I don't know what to do. 
so and my name is it's gonna be forever at least for the moment with like being a shit steer or something i don't know um but for me what's most important is actually the people who the full timers the people that we have been talking to the people who are in a situation where they where legislative that the unofficial business practice that i talked about that they are dependent like that they are let me say how they are, how it is enslaved if they continue in this employment relation to keep working 12 hours a day like instead of fucking taking a break like how can they be vocal and if they are vocal where they're gonna get the this like the same kind of earnings and um that really scares me like um i i thought that we had a like we had a like a general understanding like uh like a piece like of course like we were, we were say like I, I, I will say I've, I've been critical of a, a lot of times, but we were thinking, and I think like it was a general consensus in our in our in our organizing efforts, of like we have moral standards. Like the, 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 we are not gonna shit on like people like managers and stuff like that. We we can talk about the broader issues, but they go after our rank and file. When they go after our rank and filers, and they go after like people that are affiliated with her, with us. I get uh, scared and anxious, like really anxious. Uh, of are they drawn into a corner, or th- th- is this just like a, th- a theatrical play? Because like Bolt is also doing like collective bargaining agreements with three F right now. Right? For how how does that even like play into when they can also terminate people who are vocal about the workplace? Like, what is a general agreement for if you can't discuss your workplace right now? <laughs> what are the um, prospects of getting a general agreement with Walt? Um, could that happen soon? So I'm not at the negotiations table, and if I were the, I don't, know, sorry. <laughs> um, the prospects right now are actually pretty good and fruitful, as as far as I know. Um, so. That's why it's also very interesting that they did this uh, at this point in time. We know that they meet frequently, and 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 I think the dialogue is also very good. But like, you need to understand that <clears throat> these companies are multinational uh, companies, so they operate. So even though if there might be some some <coughs> some managers or some people higher up who are sympathetic to the like to how like 3F is negotiating the different standardizations of like making general agreements or like trying to uh, stretch themselves a little bit more. Like they have to standardize after like, because how the general standard, <coughs> sorry, is in the sector, uh, not sector, in the in the whole business family. Vault uh, is owned by DoorDash. So DoorDash won't go lower than rather than all of DoorDash will go under. And it's an American company. And we know about America, k- 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 like things need to be shitty, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, regardless of what happens with the outcome of the general uh, of, of the bargaining agreement, what can be done, and what are the prospects for continuing to organize or building a um, or an organic, like empowered workforce 
And I know, I know you talked about uh, European and international organizing, so maybe that's a part of it. But what do you, how, 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 how can that continue, regardless of, of what's decided? I think it's very important to try to connect. For me, uh, having links to different uh, companies, um, trying to revitalize or re-energize or rediscover, as Fire also said, um, labor traditions uh, is really important. Like the Danish labor movement has actually been very impressive in regards to this, like like almost uh, advanced like than any other chapter of uh, of of like um, labor movements uh, we have had international links to like every fucking country and used these to try to to understand our sectors our industry our key in being a vehicle for change for uh, getting to fight for a world uh, where people are before profit um, you don't see that as as as, as much uh, later in the history because we start to isolate ourselves, and, and this isolationism is something that our uh, sector in food delivery is essentially is challenging because the market incentive is so based on foreign capital and foreign workforces that you will get to uh, have to talk to colleagues that don't share your first name or your skin color or your language. Uh, so for, for me, trying to understand and, 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 and get to know these links, especially also with when I know that these companies are operating in other countries, uh, is really important uh, for, for, for doing this because there's a lot of turnover. But I know, like, there, I know there's, like, Rob's in every different other country. Like there are other rank and filers who are still interested in the sector. And keeping those links is really important for us to like understand how these in, uh, infrastructure works and, this com- and these companies work. Freya, did you have anything to add? Um, I think what are, what are the future prospects of organizing? I think the thing about organizing is also understanding that organizing is a marathon. Um, in many ways, like it is really about getting to know people and building community. Um, and regardless of whether or not world signs a general agreement, we, we need to keep doing this. Um, and I think it's very important that we acknowledge that a general agreement can ensure us that world is not going to like, uh, you know, change or pay uh, or change the pay for couriers overnight. Uh, but it cannot ensure us uh, like that we will have the working conditions of our dreams. Uh, general agreements are also something that, you know, essentially is a piece of paper. And if no one knows that it exists, then it's a useless piece of paper. Looking at uh, platforms in Denmark, there's a cleaning platform called uh, Hilfe that has had a general agreement uh, since 2017. It was the first platform that ever signed a general agreement. Uh, this general agreement was negotiated uh, like without any of the cleaners working on the platform actually knowing it, they're not aware of the fact that it exists. Uh, and it's complete, like, you know, you can talk about green washing and pink washing. Uh, I would call this like general agreement washing. Um, so I think really like talking about like what's, what's ahead and what's, what's the future prospect, then it is really just about continuing 
building these relations and also understanding that like even though there's a lot of turnover even though that uh our colleagues uh today are not the same colleagues that we'll have in a year and like i'm also i'm not working as a courier anymore either um but if people gain a bit of experience and actually like get the get the experience that sticking together with other people talking about the issues that we experience and organizing around it can like it can push for something better it can be a way to push for something better then they also carry this experience with them uh wherever i mean whether they go to germany or argentina or like uh one of our one of uh the people I used to organize with involved workers group for Jan. Uh, he's now studying to become a nurse. Uh, and I have zero doubts that he's going to raise hell in uh, in the hospital sector as well. And he's also started to organize with the nurses union. Um, so, yeah, I think what's ahead is the long marathon of organizing, uh, regardless of whether we get a general agreement or not. And then acknowledging that uh, even though that there are not massive changes tomorrow, then if people get the sense that we can build power, that's never lost. Yeah. And uh, I forget, one of you said that organizing was about knowing and trusting one another, um, whether that's sharing a meal or supporting someone in their other life or career ambitions, if it takes them to another country or, or another a workplace. And the fact that I even know who the two of you are shows that you two have been doing something right up in Copenhagen. I think a lot of people know who you are. So I think that must mean you two are pretty good organizers. Hippa! <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> um, I want to, is there anything else you want to add? I would also ask you to share, uh, Rasmus, I know you're a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a writer. I've, I've written some, I've, I've read some of your, um, your pieces online. If you'd like to um, share anything in particular where people can, can find you or, or get more Rasmus in their life, or more Gazellen, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, um, so uh, I have um, had uh, a few uh, published uh, pieces. Uh, one that I might highlight for your listeners would be um, the one on the Bedriftsrats uh, election because it's more local. Um, it's really interesting for me to uh, look at how the whole organization actually went about. Like it was a report um, made from like an outside view um, and it shows some really interesting uh, things um, of what we could learn from a Danish perspective and I think sometimes when outsiders are looking into um, and like existing structures it, it gives some some new insights uh, and uh, yeah then we also made a joint article in Danish in like the biggest Danish newspaper but uh, yeah that's a yeah, I had to I had to brush up on my Danish, but it was fun to write, you know. <laughs> um, I will link I will link to that in the in the description. Uh, your Twitter account, Freya. Do you have any any social accounts you'd like to? No, use? I'm a I'm a shitty Janset. I'm a very shitty Janset. Uh, yeah, I was I was um, yeah. As you mentioned, Rasmus, uh, Rasmus and Europe and me did a an article. Uh, which is in Danish and even behind the paywall. So it's as inaccessible as it could possibly be. Uh, so yeah, Rasmus, you're the, the vocal, the vocal one, the public figure. 
I'm sure uh, people will be hearing from one or both of you again in the future. Um, okay, that's it. Um, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, that was very thorough, as it should be. Yep. <laughs> we will see you all next week. Bye.